Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about what happens when evolution and mating conflict with each other, the weird reason why Romanesco cauliflower grows in a fractal pattern, and why dolphins learn each other's names. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Evolution happens in a few different ways. The two most well-known ways are natural selection, which is about survival, and sexual selection, which is about mate choice. They're basically two processes with the same end goal. But in practice, they don't always get along with each other all that well. That's right. Sometimes sex is the enemy of survival. Most of the time, natural selection and sexual selection jive just fine. For example, let's take a look at the forest birds called peafowl, which you probably know the guys are called peacocks. They evolve by natural selection. That weeds out the birds that don't peafowl well enough. The males, with their big, colorful peacock tails, look the way they do as a product of sexual selection. The females like those extravagant feathers, and having those feathers is a sign that the male is healthy and a good mate. I mean, he must be if he can survive in spite of his ridiculous plumage. So if she mates with him, there's a good chance they'll have lots of healthy babies. But other times, the forces work in opposite directions, like hitting the accelerator and the brake at the same time, which doesn't really get you very far. A recent study at the University of Exeter demonstrated that evolutionary dissonance with broad-horned flower beetles. These are little brown bugs that are commonly found feasting on wheat. The males of the species all have big mandibles that they use to fight each other. The winners get to pass on their genes. So the guys with the biggest mandibles tend to be the ones mating and passing on giant jaw genes. Now, while the females don't have massive mandibles themselves, they inherit the genes for a body that can support those massive mandibles. This means they get a big head and neck and a smaller abdomen. And that's a problem. It limits the number of eggs the females can produce. The researchers looked at what would happen if they removed the big mandibled males from the population. And spoiler alert, it was really good for the females. After eight generations, females were producing 20% more eggs on average than the control group. So in essence, sexual selection in this species, those big mandibles, is reducing the number of babies they can have. This kind of thing is actually really common, and scientists call them conflict traits. They're thought of as evolutionary compromises. So for example, in humans, females would benefit from wider hips for easier, safer childbirth. But males would ideally have narrower hips for easier movement. So here, instead of the sexes having their optimal body type, there's a bit of a tug of war going on. In the immortal words of Mick Jagger, you can't always get what you want. Although, to be fair, women also need to be able to walk around. So, you know. Says who? <laughs> that was a joke. Just to be <laughs> clear. Very, very clear on that one. Just yes. let's move on from that. Cody is joking. <laughs> Next story. <laughs> Today, I'm going to explain the biology behind one of the prettiest vegetables there is. Get ready to learn about the Romanesco cauliflower. 
For centuries, humans have been fascinated with shapes where each small part looks like the whole, like clouds and shorelines. But for most of history, these shapes defied mathematical definitions. Finally, in 1975, Benoit Mandelbrot studied them in detail and named them fractals. Fractal patterns have a special feature called self-similarity. Self-similarity is when a pattern looks the same at various different scales. That means that the pattern you see at one magnification will be the same pattern you see at a different magnification. Scientists in many fields have noticed that fractal patterns are often found in nature, everywhere from our lungs and blood vessels to ferns and flowers. But one natural example of a fractal has continued to perplex scientists, the Romanesco cauliflower. Romanesco cauliflower is an edible vegetable related to cauliflower and broccoli, and it has a really distinctive appearance. Instead of branching out like a fluffy treetop, the head of the Romanesco cauliflower swirls with spiraling rows of self-similar fractal peaks. Humans have been eating this strangely shaped vegetable since the 16th century in Italy, hence the Roman in Romanesco. But it was only recently that scientists have figured out how Romanesco cauliflower gets its peculiar shape. In all cauliflower, from the white kind you find in veggie trays to the fancy green Romanesco, the part that you eat is actually made up of failed flower buds. The cauliflower produces buds, but those buds never actually develop into flowers. Instead, they turn into stems, and those stems do the same thing, produce buds that instead develop into stems, that produce buds that instead develop into stems. You get the idea. This recursive process is what lets them continue to grow and what makes the head of the vegetable we eat. But if all cauliflower grows the same way, why does the Romanesco cauliflower look so different? New research from an international team has finally explained why, using a combination of biology and computer simulations. Turns out it's how fast the plant produces those buds and stems that's the key. Unlike regular cauliflower that produces buds at a consistent rate, Romanesco cauliflower starts producing buds faster and faster and faster until the new buds are just too small to produce more. This goes to show how just one small change to the development path of a plant can produce a characteristic that's completely distinctive and delicious. New research shows that dolphins don't just have friends, they have serious allies. And they recognize those allies by name, or I guess in their case, by whistle. Researchers working in Australia's Shark Bay have been using underwater microphones and drones carrying video cameras to spy on a population of Indo-Pacific bottlenose dolphins that call that water home. See, for the last 30 years, these researchers and their colleagues have been following the social drama of these dolphins. Male dolphins make different types of strong alliances, almost always to help in mating. Males that are looking to find and corral a fertile female cooperate in groups of two or three. That's called a first-order alliance, or as we would call it in a bar, having a couple wingmen. Those are important, but they're not necessarily long-lasting. Second-order alliances contain groups of up to 14 individuals, and they last for decades, probably whole lifetimes. The males in a second-order alliance work to keep other males from, quote-unquote, stealing the females they've corralled. 
Dolphins even have third-order alliances made up of multiple other alliances. The big mystery was how these dolphins keep track of such a complicated social hierarchy. Researchers already knew that dolphins have names. Every dolphin actually gets a signature whistle from their mother. The team wondered if dolphins kept track of each other using those whistles. So they spent two years eavesdropping on the dolphins to match individuals with their whistles. Next, they played the whistles they'd recorded while other allied dolphins were around. 90% of the time, the males who heard the signature whistle of a Second Order Alliance member immediately turned to face the source of the whistle. The reaction wasn't as strong with First and Third Order Alliance members. Second Order Alliances involve dolphins who have helped each other in the past, not necessarily dolphins who like to hang out together. So the strong reaction these dolphins had to the names of their Second Order allies is an indication that dolphins have a concept of team membership. This is the first time that's been seen in any non-human animal. The results also show the tremendous importance of whistles in dolphin social life. If you're going to collaborate with someone for 40 years, you got to be able to recognize them, right? Well, it turns out it's whistles that make that possible, or at least play a big part. These findings are pretty important for researchers who study the social behavior of dolphins, but there are still a lot of questions left to be answered. One big one has to do with the females. What do they whistle about? What the female dolphins say. Yip, 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 Pretty good. All right, well, let's recap what we learned today, starting with the fact that conflict traits are basically evolutionary compromises that happen when natural selection and sexual selection butt heads. For example, male broad-horned flower beetles with big mandibles get all the ladies, but the female offspring they produce actually make fewer eggs because of those mandible genes. Nobody's perfect, not even evolution. We also learned that scientists finally figured out what makes Romanesco cauliflower grow like a fractal. That is, in a pattern that looks the same no matter how far you zoom in or out. The heads of cauliflowers are made up of failed flower buds, which end up turning into stems that grow their own failed flower buds, and on and on. Romanesco does this too, but it does it at an increasingly rapid rate, so the buds get smaller and smaller until they can't produce any more of themselves. Makes sense. Yeah. The writer of this story, Brianna Brownell, taught me something I totally did not know. And that is that actually fractals are super important to many African cultures. Um, African villages in southern Zambia and Tanzania are designed like fractals with self-similar patterns of rings, like the whole village is. And Ethiopian crosses, you should definitely look up pictures of these. They have these distinctive self-similar decorative lattice patterns that are based on fractals. I had no idea. It's it's just this whole cool world of fractals in these African cultures. I love it because fractals are like one of the coolest things there is. Yeah, this actually reminds me of a Twitter thread that you shared with me, Ashley. It was like really good. So someone on Twitter said that there's no such thing as indigenous math or black math or feminist math. Like there's just objective mathematics. And this thread begs to differ and provided Really excellent examples of how that's surprisingly not true. It's from Dr. Michael Anjali, a NASA education researcher. And she says, quote, 
where and who we get mathematical knowledge from shapes the content of the math being taught. And she goes on to say, why don't we learn about fractals in K through 12? The belief system of a society motivates which math is taught. And as Ashley pointed out, fractals are really important to math in Africa, whereas the U.S. and Western world values economics. And that's reflected in our education system. That education system includes math. And so that math is rewarded and taught more in our education system. Yeah, like, I mean, even what math is advanced and what isn't is totally subjective. Yeah. The good doctor said the version of mathematics from African, Indian, and other indigenous societies is best reflected in how they created and used art, geometry, and patterns to shape and understand their natural worlds and realities. So, yeah, who knew math wasn't just math? (laughs) I mean, it's all out there, but the stuff we learn and the stuff we find to be advanced and cutting edge is, you know, all up to the perceiver. Yeah, kind of reminds me of the debate which we talked about on a previous episode about whether humans invented or discovered math. That's always a fun debate. That was fun. And we learned that dolphins have complicated social networks and they don't even have Facebook. (laughs) Instead, they use each other's names or signature whistles to keep track of it all. Researchers found that male dolphins had a strong reaction to the signature whistles of dolphins who had helped them in alliances in the past, which suggests that they have a concept of team membership. And we've never seen that outside of humans. I'm imagining dolphin fraternities. I mean, they kind of act like frat boys in general, so it's not too too far-fetched. You know, there's a show you can find on Discovery Plus, Animal Planet did about 10 years ago called Dolphin Days. And you look at dolphin researchers and you you realize, like, they hang out in their shorts and T-shirts in the Caribbean, like feeding dolphins, like in the sun. Like, that's what it's like to be a dolphin researcher. You're not like in a coat in a lab. I mean, maybe sometimes you are, but like you're out in a tropical paradise. If I were a researcher, I would want to be a dolphin researcher. I mean, to be fair, you and I don't risk jellyfish stings on a regular basis. <laughs> you know, they, every job has has its downside. No, of course. And their job's not easy. I'm not trying to say it's easy. But boy, that compared to like living in Antarctica or something. Right. I don't know. I mean, that's get a little bit of sun, get a nice tan. I'm down. Definitely. Today's writers were Cameron Duke, Brianna Brownell, and Grant Curran. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer. Our producer and audio editor is Cody Goff. Go buy a Romanesco cauliflower, then get a little microscope, and then zoom in. It's really cool. Or, like, watch a YouTube video. I don't know. It's cool, though. And <laughs> whether or not you do that, you can still join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.